Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I want to welcome you to the Covenant Warriors radio show. I'm your host, Jason Smith. And boy, what an outstanding program do we have in store for you tonight. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to uh, warn everybody that my phone is acting up a bit. Uh, It might disconnect for no apparent reason. It's been doing it, and I'm taking it back to the Sprint store next week. So to take care of that eventuality, I'm being backed up, as usual, by my good friend and author of The Disposable Noble Wife, Beth Durkee. Beth, are you there? How are you doing? Hi. How are you, Jason? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here today to back me up. I appreciate you being my seeing eye person. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Uh, Since we're doing this phone call, or since we're doing this interview over the phone, um, I may get disconnected, so if that happens, just let the audience know that I will dial right back in, but my good friend will be there to take up the slack for me. So, Beth, thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. Sure, no problem. All right. Now, I am excited and eager and maybe a little bit nervous and probably a lot intimidated to interview our guest. So uh, without further delay, I'll get to it. Dr. Mike Gorey is an ordained minister, a keen Bible scholar, and an international seminar speaker. Pastor Gorey has a Bachelor of Theology and a Doctor of Divinity with earned credits in understanding people and pastoral counseling. He has spoken the message of Christ all over the world and has been a featured speaker for the Promise Keepers, the International Marriages for Life Conference, and other venues. As you will see, his teachings are laced with humor and practical wisdom, which he has gleaned through walking with the Lord for an amazing 52 years. He is the head of High Calling Ministries, NZ, web address, www.highcallingnz.com. His spirit-filled messages, including the outstanding sermons, Reclaiming Your Inheritance and Walking in the Light, have blessed and inspired thousands of people to move to a higher place in God. Dr. Mike has spent many years counseling hurting people in their marriages and speaks from a, from a wealth of experience, having been married to his lovely wife, Marion, for just over 50 years. Dr. Gorey and Marion have three children and seven grandchildren. He and his wife were both born in South Africa but now live in New Zealand. He is an invaluable source of encouragement, love, and prayer for those standing for their marriage vows in the face of the painful betrayal of a departed spouse. On a personal note, Pastor Gorey's wisdom, encouragement, prayer, and godliness have helped me through many, many difficult times. I am thankful to the Lord for causing us to cross paths, and it is my great privilege and honor to have him here. So without further ado, Dr. Gorey. Welcome to the Covenant Warriors radio program, sir. Thank you. I'm speaking from Houston, Texas, and all the way from New Zealand, and uh, I'm glad to be in your country and glad to be on the program. Thank you, Jason. God bless you. Well, God bless you, sir. It is really great to have you here, and uh, I would love to just ask if you could uh, open us in prayer, if you don't mind. Yeah, it'll be a great honor. Well, Lord, we want to say thank you for modern technology. The amazing way in which we can speak to the nation just through the radio waves. Thank you for Jason, who is hosting this tonight. We thank you for the precious blessings of God. We pray now, Lord, that you'd watch over us, 
You have blessed me, inspire my lips, and let us always be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We pray you have blessed the airwaves. Whatever we speak may be ordained of God, and you have blessed the hearers that they too may be blessed. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess to start the show, Dr. Gorey, uh, something that many of us may not know, what actually inspired you to go into ministry? Well, like I tell most people, I said, you can be a minister, but unless you have a calling, you can go to theological college, you can go and study the book from lid to lid, but unless you have a calling, you can't labor in vain. You're doing it in your own strength. I had a calling. Now, I'm not saying it was an audible calling, but I know that I know that God put into my spirit that I need to minister the word and not just minister what everyone else is ministering. I believe that there is a high calling. As Paul says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not a low calling, it's a high calling. A, a walk of holiness, a walk of godliness, a walk of dedication and commitment and raising the bar in the Christian life. And so that was what I have uh, dedicated my life to, and also that brings along with it counseling, counseling hurting people, people whose marriages have broken up. And so I had a calling, and uh, I've been ministering possibly for 30, 35 years, maybe been a Christian for nearly on 53 years now, and uh, it's just a great privilege to be in the service of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, that's so wonderful. Um, I'd like to go ahead and talk about some things that you and I have discussed off the air, uh, sort of in preparation for this, uh, for this interview. Um, before we get into the, the weightier issues on marriage and divorce and remarriage and some of that stuff, um, I'd like to start off, if I may, with a question or two on uh, some things that I, I and my fellow standards and some other people have considered perhaps the most misused and misunderstood words in all of Christianity, uh, mercy, truth, and grace, those three words. Um, in my study of the scriptures, there are literally dozens of scriptures and passages in the Bible that indicate to me that the three things are intric intricately linked together. Um, for example, uh, when we talk about mercy, the Bible tells us that God shows us mercy in at least two ways, but two primary ways. The first, according to Romans 2, uh, 1 through 3, and 2 Peter 3 through 9, is that God is merciful to us as sinful people by being patient with us because he does not want anyone to perish in their sin in their sin. That would be part one. Part two, which is uh, the mercy described in Hebrews 10.29, says that the Holy Spirit brings God's mercy to us. So that leads us to the second word, which is truth. And when we read in John 14.26, 16.13, and 17.17, 17, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, will guide you into all truth, and will make us holy by the truth, or in some translations it says, will sanctify us in the truth. Then the third word is grace. Uh, Titus 2, 11 and 12 says that grace is the power to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts so that we may live righteously. James 4, 6 says that God gives us grace to stand against evil. So as I view these scriptures together, it seems to me that uh, perhaps, at least in part anyway, that God shows us mercy through his patience as well as his gift of mercy through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guiding us to truth, therefore, means that mercy from God is, in fact, truth, that God's mercy is displayed in him giving us the truth, and that his grace gives us power to stand against evil. 
is that uh, an accurate view or even close approximate view of what uh, mercy, truth, and grace mean biblically, uh, Dr. Gorey? Well, yes, I think we, we have to go along with that. And I have to say this is a premise, that no scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you don't take a scripture and just quote it by itself. Uh, we have to go by what the word says in Isaiah chapter 28. I think it's verse 9 and 10 or so. It says, To whom shall he teach doctrine, and who shall he teach? Those that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For line must be upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. Take from the book of Matthew, take from the book of Job. Take from, from Deuteronomy and compare it with James. Take Hebrews and compare it with Matthew. You've got to take here a little and there a little and see not what the Bible says, but what the Bible teaches on any truth. Now, first of all, we talk about mercy. Mercy is the act of kindness and compassion, say, uh, shown towards an offender divine favor uh, extended towards uh, a wrongful deed. So it's the mercy and kindness and compassion shown to us. We don't deserve it, but that's God's mercy. When we come to grace, you've already mentioned Titus 2, verse 11 and, and 12, which is good, uh, but that's the unmerited favor of God and the goodwill shown towards a sinner. Favor shown, now this is important, in granting a delay or of, uh, of retribution, a delay or allowance of time for the person to get right and get the sin out of his life or whatever it may be. It is a probation time, the grace of God, God's mercy, that he doesn't come and clip you behind the ear just for the first offense. He shows grace. He shows unmerited favor and goodwill toward us and toward the sinner. And so it's important for us to realize that uh, Paul says uh, very clearly, shall I continue in sin, listen carefully, that grace may abound. Let's not use it as a panacea for all our problems. Let's, let's realize that grace is there for a period of time for us to have the strength to get the sin out of our lives. A lot of people think that grace is just one big panacea, one big problem, I mean one big umbrella over us all that doesn't matter what we do, God's mercy and his forgiveness and his grace is just extended to us. The Bible does tell us that my spirit, and God is speaking, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I think that sometimes Christians take the grace and the mercy of God too for granted, and they don't see that it is a time uh, of granting a delay or allowance of time, mercy shown before punishment comes in its wake. And so that is the mercy of God, the grace of God. And the Bible tells us God is gracious and long-suffering toward all of us, and he is merciful. So, yeah, I think that sort of kind of wraps it up. So uh, I think we'll pass think, on to the next one. No, that's wonderful. And it gets, of course, the bigger problem that seems to be in the modern church is that people take grace as, as well, God's um, approval of sin. So people that are in willful, sinful conditions think that because maybe they've got a bigger car or a bigger house or 
whatever, that God's okay with what they're doing, even though the scriptures may clearly say that what they're doing is sinful. Yeah. Well, so, I, I, think, I think, you know, if you look at the book of Revelation, it says very clear there, but thanks, or, or, or Corinthians says, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The level of Christians only know one thing, forgiveness. They know nothing about victory, victory over sin. And the book of Revelation uh, says, what is the Spirit saying unto the churches? To him that overcometh shall I grant. To him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, he will eat the tree of life. To him that overcometh, overcometh sin, overcometh our shortcomings. In our, all by the grace of God and by the power of God that he bestows upon us through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That's amazing, amazing. So I, I'm actually going to skip ahead to a question that I was going to ask later, but uh, there are obviously many, many verses then that speak about obedience and about obeying God's will. Um, does, does obedience actually matter in terms of salvation, or is that just being legalistic and unforgiving and so on? Well, I think many of our listeners have probably read some of his books and certainly know about A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer has some tremendous books, little booklets, and uh, he writes something like this. He says, the church has soft-pedaled the whole teaching of obedience. And he says, uh, what they've got, he says, to, to alleviate or to uh, safeguard us falling into wrong camp of salvation by works, we have now gotten a salvation without obedience. And what we've done, we've thrown the baby out with bathwater. <laughs> I think he, he puts it very well there, that we have a salvation without obedience. And I want to tell our listeners that uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says very clearly, it says that Jesus became the author, listen carefully, Hebrews 5, 9, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all those who pray to him, no, to all those who pray to him, no, to all those who love him, no, that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, mm. obey him. That's where this obedience comes in. Obedience is just showing our love for God. We do it because we love him. <clears throat> wow, that's amazing. Well, that certainly you know, reminds me of when God, he all will be judged on the day of judgment by the words I have spoken. That's what Jesus said. And, of course, God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. You know, listen to him. So, well, I think we, we link Wonderful. that, we, we link that uh, Jason, to, to sanctification. Uh, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, premarital relationships. And it's to do with that that I think we, we're on this program, this whole area of fornication and adultery, etc. But the will of God is that we abstain from fornication. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We need to raise the bar in Christian circles on holy living, godliness and sanctification. And let me say this, unless, please, I want all the listeners to listen to this, unless you live a godly life, Unless you live a hope life, you will never know the truth that sets you free. You will never, ever. You will be vulnerable to deception. 
There's no two ways about it. The Bible is very clear in Genesis 1, verse 21 and 22. It says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Listen for it. Deceiving your own selves. In other words, if you keep on hearing and you don't do what you hear, God sees the heart. And he says, you're laying yourself wide open for deception. And that, unfortunately, is where we find many, many people in the church today. They hear, but they will not do. I've got a tremendous verse that I read the other day, and I wouldn't, uh, I'd like you just to bear with me as I read it. It comes from the book of Ezekiel, written probably about 600 years before Christ. Now listen carefully to this and see if you can identify where we are today. Written 600 B.C. Now listen. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. Oh, we love you, brother. Much love. But their hearts pursue their own gain. You are to them as a very lovely song. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. There's the problem. People will hear, and the more you hear, and the less you do, the more condemnation will be heaped upon you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, well, and I guess I'll ask you some more questions, Dr. Gorey. Um, I understand, obviously, having listened to you and talked to you, that you take a very firm stand on this marriage, divorce, and remarriage issue. And your, your view is in practical diametric opposition to the majority of the modern Christian church these days. Um, could you perhaps give us some background as to how you came to your conclusions and, and, and uh, you know, just explain your position if you don't mind? Well, yes, I, I, do, I do claim that what I teach is, is somewhat diametrically opposed to what the general run of Christianity teaches. And that is that uh, Christianity teaches very clearly, I think, of mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, and the et cetera, et cetera of God. And I believe in that 100%. But what is being taught today is that if your spouse has committed fornication or they say, well, same thing, fornication and adultery, we, we differentiate between them. But if your, if your spouse has been unfaithful, then you can forgive them. But the whole idea is that if they have been unfaithful to you, you have biblical grounds for divorce, and that releases you to be remarried. That I totally reject as something totally unscriptural, and the scriptures bear very definite record of that. And so that's where we differ, because so many of the churches are sanctioning second and third marriages. And they say, well, you see, God is a God of mercy. He doesn't want you to be miserable all your life. I mean, after all, you were the innocent party. So he doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to be happy. No, God doesn't want you to be happy first. He says you have no right to be happy until you're holy. When you live godly, when you live holy, then you have the right to be happy. And, and, and uh, a good friend of mine, as many people know, Dr. Joseph Webb, uh, makes a profound statement. He says, the truth will set you free, 
But he said, I want to tell you this. The truth will first make you miserable. (laughs) Until until you obey it. Until you obey it. And then it sets you free. And then it sets you free. And I say amen to that. That's right. Well, um, I guess you you talked about the innocent party. That obviously brings up Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Um, Do you care to go into a little bit of that? Because um, those are probably, I think Joseph Webb calls them the the five-word crowd. Uh, the people that use accept it be for fornication or whatever they use that as the grounds for divorce so uh, and remarriage um, called the well, exception clause. I, I call it the exception clause. The first one before we even go into uh, into that uh, Matthew five and Matthew nineteen, it's very clear in Luke chapter sixteen and verse eighteen. And if one looks at the con, you see a word is known by the company it keeps. You've got you've got to look at scripture in its context. That's the basis of hermeneutics. You've got to look at this, the context. And if you look at, my daughter pointed this out to me, if you look at Luke 16, and uh, building up to verse 18, it says, the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it, and, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little tittle of this law to fail. He says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away until all be fulfilled. Then the very next verse, verse 18, whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery, period. I say from a from a, a Kiwi a New Zealand point of view, there's no there's no wriggle room here, mate. There's no wriggle room. That's it. Bottom line, that's it. Either you're going to be a believer or you're going to be an unbelieving believer. And there are lots of unbelieving believers around, and there are a lot of Christian atheists around. Christian atheist is one who believes in God, but they don't believe God. That's right. Well, and and I think a lot of us don't. I think um, the church, I mean, the church is so casual about this. I mean, even in Mark, I think it's Mark 10, uh, 18 or somewhere around there, when the man asked Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The second thing he says is, do not commit adultery. So is that a suggestion or is it a command? (laughs) The creator is speaking. In, the ex- in Exodus chapter 20, we have the ten, the ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And, and I think that, that we need to realize that. But in, in, Mark, in Mark chapter 10 um, and, and verse 10, and in the house, the disciples also asked him again about the same matter, about this divorce and what have you. And this is what he said. He, he says this. He said, verse 11, So he said unto them, Whoever... Now, when the Bible says, whosoever believeth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, it means it doesn't matter who you are, what ethnicity, whether you're male, female, whatever culture, whatever, whoever is all-encompassing. When it says whoever, whoever in the scriptures, we're to read that in the same light. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, period. And if a woman divorce her husband, and marries another. She commits adultery. So that is very clear. Romans chapter 7, 
verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us in verse 3. It tells us, excuse me, it says, if, you're, if, you, if you divorce your wife and you marry another, you commit adultery. But if your husband dies, then you're free to marry another. It's very clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we read the same thing. In verse 39, we read the same thing. A woman is bound by the law, that's the law of God, to her husband. But if he dies, she is loosed from that law. So she's not an adulterer if she marries someone else. So death terminates that covenant. Death terminates the marriage that you've entered into. Not divorce, not alcoholism, not abuse, not adultery, not fornication. Death and death alone will culminate, will end that, terminate that bond or that covenant into which you have entered. Now, you asked me earlier on, you said, what about Matthew chapter 5? What about Matthew chapter 19? Now, we, we need to address that. So let me let you talk first so they just don't hear Mike speaking and talking. Oh, no, by all means, go on. I mean, because that's exactly what I was going to ask you, obviously. And, and I, 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 uh, we hear this all the time. I even, uh, when my wife divorced me, I went to her pastor, and he pulled out the exception clause and says, pornea, pornea. And um, it's like, well, um, okay. You know, but the innocent party is still bound, is still an adulterer or adulteress if she remarries. So yeah. there can't be, I mean, it just seems to be a logical fallacy that there even is an innocent party. So Pornia yeah. is obviously speaking to something else. Well, what we've got to realize, I mean, this is what we, we, we read as the Pauline exception clause and the Matthew Pauline exception clause. Um, We've got to look at that that verse in Matthew chapter 5 and, and 31 and following uh, because Jesus is speaking. But we need to understand from a hermeneutical point of view who scriptures, what language was it written in, why was it written, to whom was it written, etc., etc., hermeneutics. So we've got to look at that in the light of who Matthew was written to. It was primarily written to Jewish readership. You can see the whole framework of that is that. But then when we come to Mark, there's no exception clause. And that was written mainly for Jewish readership. And when we look at, uh, at Luke, when we look at Luke, uh, you'll see Luke was a Greek. He was a Gentile. And there we have Luke 16, 18. There is no exception clause. Now, that should be telling us something. Only in Matthew and not in the others. And so we've got to look at that and realize that Matthew was written after Mark. Mark was probably the first, uh, first uh, gospel written. But Matthew came afterwards. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter, uh, 5 and verse 31, uh, <clears throat> furthermore, it has been said, uh, whosoever divorces his wife, it her a certificate of divorce. He's referring, obviously, back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. But I say unto you, now, Jesus is, is now affirming. He, he's bringing in a truth here. But I say unto you, I don't care what you heard from Moses. That was old dispensational. It was written for the time, for the people at that particular time. A lot of people want to get themselves under old Deuteronomy 24 says, you know, if your wife divorces you, marry someone else, you can never go back to her again, etc. And they quote Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
Well, I'd remind them if they want to quote Deuteronomy chapter 24 and come under Moses' law, then if your, your son is rebellious, take him to the gate of the city before the elders and stone him. Do you do that? It also says when you get married in the same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 24, when you get married, you are bound by the law to stay at home for a whole full year to comfort your wife. You're not to go out to army. You're not to go. You're to stay at home and comfort your wife. Do they bring themselves under that? You see, they want to have a, a, a sort of a, a pick and choose type of thing here. You've got to take the scriptures in its entirety if you're going to take a tour. So when we come to Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32, but I say unto you that whosoever divorces his wife, Jesus is speaking, for any reason except sexual immorality, now, I don't like that. It's not a, it's not a, a good, accurate ter- interpretation. If you go back to the Greek and you go back to the King James Version, it says, except it be for fornication. Here's the word you said again, which is porneia. Porneia is premarital sexual relationship. He causes her adultery. Now, you have the two words. You have porneia, which is premarital sexual relationships and you have the word mochia which is adultery and you have the two words together in the same sentence that should be telling you something whilst pornea could an elastic word which could include all sexual promiscuity homosexuality bestiality including adultery etc when it is set up against mochia it's obviously there by contradistinction to distinguish with two. It says in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh are these. It goes through and it says adultery and fornication. Why don't we take those as the same thing? No. Although it's the same kind of act, one is a premarital sexual act, the other is a postmarital sexual act. So when we look at this, we've got to go back to Hebrew thought. And we're going to go back to Hebrew culture. In the days of Jesus, there were rabbinical schools. The first rabbinical school was the school of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, and that's Hillel. It's pronounced as a guttural, Hillel. Now, the school of Hillel, where they believed, and they spent their time debating and talking about divorce and remarriage and finding some, some uncleanness in your wife, and you could put her away for every cause. If your wife burnt the toast, you could put her away. If your wife was heard shouting in the house and the neighbors could hear, you could put her away. If she was found out in the streets dancing around the streets, you could put her away. Even if you found a woman who was even more pretty than your wife, you could put her away. And so they, they made it such a, a, an easy thing. Now, now, the school of Shammai came along, the rabbinical school, and they said, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 no. You, you're making this thing far too lax, far too easy. What we've got to realize, this means only some sexual promiscuity, fornication. So they used to wrangle and tangle all the time, these two rabbinical schools. If anyone knows the Jewish people, they know for every two Jews, there's three opinions. And this is, used to happen. So they used to get together. So they said, hey, you know, there's a new rabbi in town. He's supposed to be quite a clever guy. His name is Yeshua. Yeshua. Let's go and see Yeshua. And we're, 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 going, we're, going, we're, we're putting three paces on this thing. That's why the context is, and they came tempting him. The Pharisees and those came tempting him, saying, 
Is it lawful, uh, Yeshua, is it lawful to put away your wife for every cause? They knew. The school of Chalel uh, uh, knew what they believed. The school of Shemaiah, they want to see what Jesus said. He blew them out of the water, both of them. He said, I don't believe anything that you guys have said. <laughs> you may have heard it said by Moses. That was all dispensational time. But I brought in a new truth, a higher standard. Whoever puts a word. Now, when it says except to be for fornication, it doesn't mean sexual promiscuity or premarital sex. Uh, sorry. Sorry, correction. It doesn't mean marital unfaithfulness, as many of the unfortunate uh, translations of the Bible put it today. It does right. not mean sexual immorality. It does not mean that. It means premarital sexual promiscuity or sexual sin. In other words, what was happening here, that they had a culture in the Hebrew culture, that's why it's only in the book of, of, of Matthew, where you got engaged to your wife when she was very young. Now, that was called a betrothal period. It was an espousal period. That lasted for nine months. It's just a little about nine months. Now, that gave the husband, unfortunately put the power in the husband's hand, gave the husband the ability to check out and see whether his wife was still a virgin. So if she had been playing around sexually, she would be pregnant within that nine-month period. Then he, as an engaged person, betrothed to or espoused to this woman, had the right to put her away by giving her a writing of divorcement. They were not married proper. They were only engaged at that particular time. And they were known. And you can read this in all the study books and that you can see Hebrew cultures, etc. They were known as husband and wife at that particular time, even though they had not consummated or come together and been married proper. But she was known as his wife. He was known as her husband. And this is the, the particular situation that they found themselves in. And, of course, Joseph and Mary. We read the story in Matthew there. We read the story in also in Luke, I believe it is, where it says, and, 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 and Joseph being a spouse to his wife, Mary. They were not married. They were a spouse. They were engaged. He then found the child, and he said, uh-oh, within this nine-month period, I have the right to put her away now because the law gave me that, that, that ability to do that. So while he was mindful to give her a writing of divorcement during this engagement period, not after they were married, no, to put it away, the Holy Spirit, we know the story, says, no, be not, <clears throat> don't be ashamed to take unto you Mary, your wife, and marry her. And, of course, we know that what he did, and that brought, brought forth Jesus, uh, born of a virgin, uh, the firstborn. So <clears throat> that is the situation. So I believe that Christianity in the main has got this wrong because one, they do not understand the Hebrew culture properly. They have misinterpreted the word ponea for sexual immorality or, or marital unfaithfulness, which is what it does not say. Right. Uh, and so, uh, well, and if you read John eight forty one, Pastor, I mean, in John eight forty one, they mock Jesus for being born of pornea. Yeah. Why? But, because but, Mary but, was pregnant before she got married. That's right. And they said, you, were, you know what? You were born. You were born illegitimately. They were trying to hold that against him. You were born illegitimately. And they were right. trying to 
get it in that way. And uh, so you're actually right there. So uh, that, that is the position about Chalel and, and Shammai and the Hebrew culture, the misunderstanding of that, uh, that phrase, except it be for fornication. And it has been distorted over the years, and many churches and many uh, new translations of the Bible all have marital unfaithfulness or sexual immorality or whatever. That is not what the Bible is saying. For us who get married in this dispensation, if your wife or your husband commits uh, fornication or, as we'd say, adultery uh, uh, multiple times, you are to forgive 70 times 7. We know it's a painful thing, a painful thing. And you do not have biblical ground for divorce, period. Amen. Do well, not and, and, it, and it seems to me, Pastor, I mean, if, if, if adultery... We're, we're commanded as Christians to forgive. If we refuse to forgive others, our Father in Heaven will refuse, my Father in Heaven will refuse to forgive you, is what Jesus said. So yeah. some people, they, they accuse you, for example, of making adultery an unforgivable sin, yeah. but when a remarriage, yeah. yet, yet the people who divorce their spouses for adultery are actually being unforgiving themselves. Absolutely. There are two things that I want to bring in here which I think is important. One, as soon as a divorce goes through, and usually there is, uh, look, there's enough blame to go around generally, but usually there's one that's a little bit more innocent than the other. I don't just claim, oh, the totally innocent party. Uh, usually there's, as I say, enough blame to go around. But what happens so often, and I can understand that, I can empathize with people, they get so bitter, they get so unforgiving and they get resentful and against the new girlfriend or the new boyfriend or whatever it may be and they get so resentful about this and unforgiving and that will kill you the Bible says that if you come to the Lord and you pray and you will not forgive then God will not forgive you and I have often said to people it's not what you eat that kills you. It's what's eating you. What's eating you? I may be speaking to many people out there who have been divorced, husband's been unfaithful, or wife's been unfaithful, and you are really hurting, and you've got bitterness just brewing in your heart. The Bible says if you've got bitterness in your heart, <laughs> it says you will be bound, listen carefully, you will be bound by the cords of your own sin You'll be taken to the tormentors, and you'll be handed over to the jailer. You will be put in prison, and the tormentors will torment you day and night until you learn to forgive from your heart. And only the Lord can help you to release that, because the very cord that you bind someone with in unforgiveness is the very cord that will bind you. And that is important to understand that. So that's the first thing that I do want people to realize. It's so, so important to not be bitter and resentful in their lives. Wonderful. Now, Wonderful. There, there was a second one that just escapes me right now. But mm. Let me just, oh. carry, just carry on. You just Probably carry on. not the unforgivable sin, I think, may, have, may have been part of it. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. Thank you. Thank you. So I have people say to me, uh, you know, Mike Gorey, I've heard what you teach, and I reject it. I said, well, you have the right to be wrong. Um, and uh, 
So they say well, the, the way the way the way you speak, you would think that divorce and remarriage is the unforgivable sin. I will remind you, Mr. Gori, that there's only one sin that is the unforgivable sin, and that's the sin found in the book of Matthew, that the Bible says that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is the unforgivable sin, unpardonable sin. It'll neither have forgiveness in this world nor in the life to come. So that is the unforgivable sin. Not this whole thing of divorce and remarriage. Then I blow them out of the water. <clears throat> you know what I say? No. I say, brother, listen carefully. Tune in. <laughs> Every sin is the unforgivable sin until it is repented of. When it's repented of, then it can be forgiven. Now you say, well, oh, well, you see, <clears throat> my husband divorced me and married my best friend and what have you. But I know he went to church once and I saw him go up to the altar and he, he really asked forgiveness. Oh, he did, eh? Well, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness? Ah, what is repentance? Repentance is admit it and quit it. Until you quit it, you cannot have forgiveness. You can have mercy extended to you until you get strong enough to do it. Yes, you can have grace extended to you until you are strong enough to be able to kick the sin or do something. But the problem is, <laughs> they keep on living in it. They may repent and say, oh, I'm sorry, right. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for, uh, for uh, having uh, divorced my husband or divorced my wife. Uh, please forgive me, Lord, please forgive me. That's fine. Are you sorry for still living in adultery with this other woman while your previous wife is still alive? Oh, no, no, they do that. If you're really sorry, let your actions endorse your feelings. And mm. you say, Lord, I have to admit it, and I have to quit it. I have to walk out from my sin. And that's the hard part. But the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to do it. And that's what makes the sin unforgivable. And to again, what Dr. Joseph Webb says, he says, the truth will set you free and make you free, but it will make you miserable until you obey it. When you obey it, then it sets you free. Um, that's amazing. And I, I want to come back to that line of questioning here in a minute, but um, I, have, I want to know if you might be willing to take a, a question or two from some callers real quick just to kind of break up the interview a little bit. Yeah, you do that. I think it'll be good. Keep okay, let's try it. Um, I believe it's Tony and Joy uh, has a question. Uh, go ahead. You're with Dr. Mike Gorey. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Where are you speaking from? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Well, bless you. That's, that's joy, is it? Yes. The joy of the Lord will bless your heart. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm speaking from Houston. Okay. I have a question. I had a pastor one time. Well, actually, one really said this. Others, I, I have yet to find a church that um, speaks the truth. I'm still searching. But um, I had a pastor one time tell me that it was okay to move on and get married again because in the eyes of the Lord, my husband's at fault, and he would be the one that would be responsible and to pay for my sin and all the sins of my children because of his actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so just to, to understand your question then, so the pastor tells you 
that it's all right. You, you, Joy, uh, were the innocent party or whoever it was. Uh, and, uh, your husband uh, then is the guilty person and he will bear the sins of the fathers and what he has now transmitted by generational transmission onto the children. Is this what I understand you? Yes. So what's your question? Well, just just, just it, it, uh, clarify that. Um, how uh, that really, I, I really don't believe that. <laughs> but would that be the case? Um, <clears throat> in other words, it almost sounds like what you're asking is, would you be off the hook if you got remarried? Yes. Because it'd be your husband's fault yes. because he forced right. you yes. to get I remarried. Think, yes. I think I think that clarifies it and, and elucidates the question. All right. Um, we've got to take the scriptures, and, and the Bible is very clear. It says, if your wife divorces you and marries another, she commits adultery. If the husband divorces a husband and commits and marries another, he commits adultery. That is whilst the previous wife is still alive or the previous husband is still alive. What the pastors tell you is what they feel, and they, they couch everything in in emotionalism and when emotions increase judgment and resistance decrease and so people's thinking becomes distorted because it's all now in my church I have 40% of the people who are either divorced or divorced and remarried married and if I had to speak the truth out in this congregation I'd lose half of my congregation and lose half of my tithe payers so they are in, uh, in between a, a rock and a hard place and I can understand and 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 feel sorry for a lot of them but it certainly does not give you the right to go and get remarried because if you do you've got to realize and this is the important part you are in a covenant relationship with your husband a covenant relationship not a contract it's not a contract you entered into covenant when you married your husband or whoever the situation whoever the person is that we're referring to you entered a covenant which is a lifelong binding covenant which is terminated only by death 1st Corinthians 7 verse 39 you read it pray consider it deeply go to Romans chapter 7 verses 1 to 3 read it read it over again consider it deeply pray and ask God Lord I want you to give me wisdom when David saw that his wives were taken captive at Ziklag and I'm going to be preaching this at the, at the conference, when they were taken, the first thing he did when, when he was distraught and they were weeping, he went and encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself. So I tell people, I said, if your wife or husband has left you, the number one goal is not to get back with your husband or your wife. Don't send her chocolates and, and roses and what. No, no, you're 15 years old. No, no, don't do that. No, no. The number one goal is to get right with God. Get right with God. And as you read the scripture, jot those verses down. Luke 16, 18. Joy. Luke 16, 18. Read it. Write it down. Romans 7, 1 through 3. Mark 10, 10 through 12. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10, 11, and 12, 13. It gives you two options. It says, if you're divorced, remain single, remain single, unmarried, 
or seek to be reconciled to your husband. Sometimes impossible. He is remarried, and he's happily remarried, then you remain. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39 tells us, death and death alone terminate the marriage bond and the covenant into which you've entered. And then another one just to add to that is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 and 6. If you read that, it says, when you make a vow to God, make sure you pay it now. Don't make a vow to God and don't pay it. Rather not make a vow than make a vow and not pay it. And then it comes out with verse 6 with a very profound statement. It says, don't cause your flesh to cause you to sin. And don't say that it was an error. Oh, we were young and immature. We didn't really believe in God and we didn't really know what we were saying when we made our vows and da-da-da. Wherefore, God will be angry at your words and seek to destroy the works of your hand. I've told people I've counseled. I said, if you get remarried, I didn't write that. I didn't write that. God wrote that. Is that he will fight against you to destroy the works of your hand because you are destroying a or violating a precious covenant that was made between you and the God of heaven. So that's what I believe the situation when they tell you, well, now you are free to marry because your husband is the guilty party and, and it'll all come down to his line and he'll get it in the neck, but you, you're free now. You can remarry. That is not good counsel. So I'd, I'd ask you to just go and wait on God and go and read those verses and pray earnestly and ask God to give you wisdom. Thank you. Amen. And and I think of Galatians 3.15 as another example. It says that a man-made covenant is neither added to nor taken away from. And he, uh, Paul, I guess, is talking about that, and he's saying it as if it's common knowledge. So, you know, everyone knew what a covenant was. Um, okay. Have we got another call? Uh, we will get one, absolutely. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question also on this very topic, and then I'll get another call. I'm waiting. The problem is that this uh, talk shoe is a little bit lagged, and I've got to get a confirmation from the person in chat before I can open the mic because they might be uh, putting the kids to bed or something, you know. So um, while I'm waiting, um, I thought I'd bring up Proverbs 6 and then 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, okay. They seem to me when I read them to, that they, they're warning a person, a man, who steals another man's wife, that God is the avenger of such sins. Um, If a a covenant is only broken by death, and God is an avenger of someone who steals another man's wife, uh, or vice versa even perhaps, and since every every word of God proves true, every word of God is tested, if God will avenge the um, wounded party when someone steals their spouse, uh, is that not playing with fire, you think, Pastor? I mean, aren't these people standing there getting ready to get crushed by God for willful, unrepentant disobedience? You see, this is where we have the mercy of God and the grace of God that swings into play again. And God is a merciful God. If if every transgression that we committed, we've got a clip behind the ear hole, boy, I tell you, we'd soon shape up. But he doesn't. He's long-suffering to us, would He's not willing that any should perish. He gives people time to repent. He gives people time to repent. And it goes on and on and on. And people willfully, stubbornly harden them. And they will not hear. In, Deuter- in, in Proverbs 29, um, it just comes to mind now. There, there's, a, there's a verse. Let me just turn it up. I've got to share it. If my memory serves me correct, uh, Proverbs 
Um, yeah, yeah. Listen to this one. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed. Mm. And, that, and that without remedy. And that is a, that is a, a, a woeful uh, statement. I mean, we look at that. You, there, there are so many people who are hardening them. They are often reproved, and the Spirit is gently trying to woo them and trying to bring all sorts of circumstances into their life to let them see, but they will not listen. They stubbornly carry on. We need to talk about self, and I want you to ask me that question just down the line quickly. Uh, but, but very, very important. So just jot that down, J- Jason. So I believe that my spirit will not always strive with man. God is gracious. God is loving. He is long-suffering toward us. And, but there comes a time when God says, right, why should you keep on hearing the gospel and hearing the word time and time and time after time when there's some people in Africa that haven't heard it once? Now, okay, so I'm giving you time to repent. And we read that in the book of Revelation. He gave them time to repent. And he said, unless you repent, I will remove the candle out of its lampstand and you will have no more light and you will stumble in darkness. Mm. Wow. Well, and you know, that, that leads me to some, one of your other, that just, for some reason that triggered me. Um, I, you, you talk about the headship principle and, and, the, and the picture affecting your performance. And I think it was 1 Corinthians 11.3 that talks about the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And um, I think that's perhaps what you base the headship principle upon, and perhaps in part the, um, the picture affects your performance view of things. But yeah. um, you've, you've said before uh, that, that, that Scripture is very spiritual, symbolic, and metaphoric in a lot of different ways, and that God is very jealous of his types. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's Ephesians 5:21. Christ in the church is a symbolic relationship, or it's a symbol of God's relationship, or Christ's relationship to the church, husband and wife. Um, yeah. how, how, in terms of symbolism and types and headship principle, those kinds of things, when a man divorces his wife or a wife divorces her husband, what right. does that mean? What does that look like? Let me talk. Let me talk. Let me talk into that. Um, a type is a symbol, I know, something that reflects a deeper spiritual heavenly truth. So you'll have lambs op- offered on the crude altar, stone altar, that shows in typical form the Lamb of God who will be slain for the sin of the people. Uh, we see a lot of types. We see bread and wine. The bread symbolizes as a type of the body that was broken. The, the, the wine is a type, a shadow, a symbol of the blood of Jesus. Da, 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 da. So those are types and shadows. When we look at this whole area of marriage and, uh, and we, we turn specifically to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and from about verse 21 and following, 20 and following, to the end of the chapter, it talks very clearly about uh, the husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So likewise, 
every husband is to see he is a little picture in typical form of Christ. His wife is a little picture of the church. He is the head, she is the body. So we see that whole symbolism being developed there in Ephesians chapter 5 and that portion of scripture. And it says, now, I'm talking about husbands and wives and marriage, but really, this is a great mystery. I'm really, I'm really talking about Christ and his church, where the husband takes on the role here on earth as being a little picture of Christ, washing his bride by the washing of the water by the word, by reading the word to her, by praying over her, by blessing her and encouraging and strengthening her and being her stay and being her covering. He covers her like an umbrella. And, and, and that's what we talk about, the, the, the covering principle. Um, he is to be an umbrella over his wife and his children. And when the people come under, they're protected from the rain. And so uh, coming under the covering of God uh, breaks the power of Satan in your life. Two, it protects you from harm, from physical harm. It protects you from spiritual harm and being deceived. And it brings you under the good favor of God. So staying under covering, for wives to stay under covering. But I want to remind husbands, it's not only the wife who comes under covering. You've got to look at the scriptures where it says there, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So you have a head over you, sir, and your head is Christ. He is your covering. Are you under your covering? You want your wife to be under her covering, which is you, the head of every woman is the man. You want you want her to be under your covering. Are you submitting to your head, sir? And, and so we need to have a good balance here. It's a two-way street. So coming under covering comes you, brings you under the protection of God. And there are lots of wives who are out from under covering. They're bucking and rebelling. And instead of having a ducking bride, we've got a bucking bride. And she's bucking all over the place. And what I often tell people in my marriage seminars, I have a marriage seminar, Jason, which I call, Is Your Marriage Bliss or Blisters? That's right. And, uh, I, I, I tell people there, I said, when the Bible categorically tells the wife to submit to her husband, it's only telling her to duck so God can hit the husband. <laughs> that's right <laughs> and I think it's Amen. important so that's Amen the covering principle now let me just hone in on the last little bit that we referred to and then move on to the next point um, that uh, what, what I say that if we look at the type of Christ and his church the husband being the head and the wife being the body she is the body of Christ he is the head and the savior of that body I was doing a seminar some time ago in South Africa, and um, I came to this portion about headship and, and the husband is the head and the wife is the body. I said, now, now, I said, in this congregation tonight, it was a very somber moment. I said, I think there are a lot of murderers and people all quiet. I said, now, whatever you do, don't look to the right or left. You may be sitting next to one. Just look out of the corner of your eye. You may be sitting next to a murderer. 
And then I wanted to verify. I said, you see, if the husband is the head and the wife is the body, the husband divorces his wife. He cuts the head from the body. And if I came into your bedroom and I cut a, got a knife and I cut your head off your body, I would be a murderer. So where does see divorce as murder in the sight of God? And then when that head is bouncing around without a body, it's bumping into everything, and then the body is bouncing around without a head, and it's not divided, and anything without a head will soon die. And so we need to understand the head principle. We need to understand the types and the shadows. The symbolisms. So any person who's divorced their wife, and a lady sat there, and she was stunned, an Indian woman. Nine months later, I was speaking in the same city in South Africa, where I come from. This lady came to me at, uh, at the tea break, and she says, Brother Gary, I want to tell you something. Do you remember speaking at such and such? I said, yes. You remember you talked about me, a, a murderer in this? Yes, yes, I do remember that. She said, I was that murderer. I said, oh? Tell me about it. She said, I had one signature, one signature, Brother Gory, to put on the divorce papers, and my divorce was through. One mm. signature. And you spoke that word that night. It went like an arrow into my heart. I went home. I said to my husband, I said, darling, I am a murderer. Boy, you just about jumped out of the window. You got such a fright. No, 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 no. She said, let me explain. She explained this whole thing. And she said, I asked my husband to please forgive me. The next day, I went down to the lawyer's office. I canceled all the divorce proceedings. And I want to tell you the good news. Tonight, my husband and I have fallen in love. We're together again. And he's here at the seminar. I got them both to stand on the stage and give a testimony. Praise God. That's what that's that amazing. Yeah. Well, and that's I think you're backed up. Well, I I'm think not, you're I'm, backed up by James on that pastor because he says he actually talks about you adulteresses, you commit murder. So yeah. even James is saying right. that adultery is murder, equivalent to murder. Yeah. It's a spiritual murder, think, is it not? I think I think what's happening in is that many, many people, without their knowing it, are fulfilling prophecy. They may think, oh, that's a great thing. No, 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 no. You're fulfilling prophecy in a, in a wrong way. In, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 5, it says, The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, want to hear all the things that tickle their ears, and they will turn away their ears from hearing the truth and they will be turned on fables, misled doctrines of demons. They will mm -hmm. be turned away from the truth. And this is what's happening today, Jason, sadly, in many, many churches. You can't find a church today who's making a firm stand on this divorce and remarriage, or very, very few of them. And so I think, I think it's time that we had a program like this on the air, and I'm hoping that people will not only listen, but download uh, this talk, uh, you know, later on, and uh, may God bless well, people. I'll tell you, brother, you're like Elijah, I guess. He, God reserved 7,000 of them to himself, and Elijah didn't meet a single one. So, yeah. um, you yeah. know, it's like bailing the tide with a, with a bucket. It's a pretty tough fight. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree. I'm glad that you're out there preaching it. And um, I've got another question from somebody here, if you can take another one. Oh, please. Um, this is, uh, if I can get it on you, you lamb is calling us from Indiana. I believe she has a question. You're on with Dr. Mike Gorey. Go ahead. Thank you so much, Dr. Gorey and Jason and Beth. And Where are you speaking just, from? Indiana. Indiana. Well, bless your heart. Yes. Go ahead. 
Thank you so much. I just have a question on God's will. And in Psalm 27, 13, we're told, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yep. And I guess for you know, so many of us, we want to know that we're praying for the right things. Yes. And so I guess my my question is, is, is there a difference between God's divine will versus his permissive will? Is it... Is it right for us to be praying for reconciliation, or should we be praying for uh, just the strength to endure living a life abandoned? Well, what I tell people uh, so often is, and 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 we must not just uh, neutralize this whole painful thing of divorce. It is a most painful, painful experience when you know your 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 spouse, your husband, your wife has departed and gone, pursued after some other lover. We need to have the the Hosea spirit and uh, Job. and that. What, what we need to do is Israel pursued after her lovers. And the Bible says, we'll pray a hedge of thorns around them that when she pursues after her lovers, she will be pricked on every side and she will return and say, it was better with my first husband than it is with me now. And I think that we need to perhaps even literally put a, thorn of, a, a hedge of thorns around that renegade husband or wife and pray, but still have compassion and be careful. Be careful, be careful, please, that you don't make the, the the healing of your marriage an idol. You can make it a God in your life where you do nothing but eat, sleep, drink, think, speak about your marriage, your marriage, your marriage, and that can possibly cause everything else to pale into insignificance. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep positive. We've got to keep on going. Now, what I tell people, and I often, and I want to encourage you to do this, learn to cultivate the art of turning the promises of God into prayers. Now, Lord, in your word, in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, you said, Lord, call unto me, and I will answer you. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you know not, God, and I'm claiming that. I'm speaking that into being, Lord. You said, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. At every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is your heritage. Praise God. Isaiah 54, verse 17. Lord, you said in Luke 1, verse 37, nothing shall be impossible to them that believe it. Things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Now, Lord, I'm claiming, I'm claiming what the enemy has stolen from me. Please, Lord. Now, let's go back to your question about the permissive will and the divine will. I believe there is such a thing as a permissive will and the divine and the perfect will of God. When a husband and wife get married and they are both Christians, they both love the Lord dearly and they get married and it's the first marriage on both sides, not a second and a third or fourth. That's the first on both sides. That's a covenant marriage. That is a divine, perfect will of God. But you can have two believers get married or you can have a believer and an unbeliever get married. It's first marriage on both sides. 
It's not God's ideal. It's got not God's perfect. He said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So therefore, is the permissive will of God, not necessarily the perfect will of God in that case. The perfect will of God would be two believers who really love the Lord getting married first first. But when it comes to a first marriage and a second marriage where that previous partner is still alive, that is a non-covenant marriage. We have covenant marriages and non-covenant marriages. That would be not the divine will of God, that would be outside of the will of God altogether. So that person will be in a non-covenant marriage and they will have to answer before God one day for it. So, yes, I think that you need to pursue God with You need to say, God, I want to claim what the devil has, what the enemy has stolen from me. And Lord, I'm going to turn the promises of God into prayers. Now, there's a verse that I often tell many people. And whenever I counsel, I make sure that I tell them this and jot it down. It comes from Proverbs 16, verse 7. It goes like this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes the enemy to be peace. Now, we've got to seek the Lord on the perpendicular and let God deal with the situation on the horizontal. When your ways really please the Lord, the Lord will make the enemy be at peace. So spend some time fasting. Fasting has a tremendous power to it. I 58 and verse, I think it's 6, 7, or 8, 8, round about there. Isaiah 58 talks about the fast that the Lord has created. And <clears throat> if we read it, 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 it's powerful because it has a, uh, four basic things that we need to look at there. Isaiah 58 and verse 5. Uh, yeah, verse 5. For it's the fast that I have chosen, says God. A day for a man to afflict his soul. Now listen. It is to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread a sackcloth and sacker. Is not this the fast? Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, says God, one, jot it down, to loose the bonds of wickedness, two, to undo the heavy burdens, three, to let the oppressed go free, and my husband is oppressed, and I'm oppressed, and there's a heavy burden on my heart that keeps on playing in me all the time, and that I break every yoke. There is a stronghold here. Your word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold and bringing every thought into captivity there with the obedience of Christ. Lord, this is a stronghold. It's a stronghold on my husband. Lord, I pray you bring it down. So turn the promises of God into praise. Let's hope that helps you. Oh, man, wonderful. Thank you, you lamb, for the question. Um, let me grab another question. Let's see. I think Beth had a question. I'll uh, see if I can get this thing to work. I hope it'll unmute. It's, it's so slow here. I'll have to try it again in a second. Um, speaking of that, oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, Beth, you're on with Dr. Gore. You want to ask him a question there? Oh, gee, Jason, how many questions have I had as he's been talking? And I, I know, you've been, you've been firing away. Pick a good one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've been very quiet. That'd be nice. Um, well, let's see. Um, only one, huh? Okay. Uh, <laughs> earlier, earlier when you were talking about um, uh, forgiveness, right, 
Um, what is your take on, I mean, what, what's your uh, perception of judge not lest ye be judged? Is it our place to judge others or no? I think <clears throat> judgment, there's a fine difference between judgment and condemnation. And there's a fine difference between judgment and discernment. We are to discern by the Spirit. To judge is to say, this man is consigned to a lost eternity. He will never repent. I know of the hardness of his heart. He'll never, ever turn. And as soon as you start negatively programming your mind, it attracts the demonic. Because when we agree with Satan, we empower him to disempower us. But when we agree with God, we empower him to empower us. Back to your question. You say, uh, judge not lest you be not judged. Yeah, we must not judge, but we must discern. The Bible is very clear. If it says, um, thou shalt not kill. And uh, a person goes out and chops his neighbor's head off and say, you know, the Bible says that you have violated a basic law of God. One of the Ten Commandments, you must not kill. Oh, don't you judge. Who, what, who gave you the right to judge? I'm not judging. I'm just saying what the Word of God says. If you want to have an argument, you argue with the, the author of the Word. He said that, not me. The Bible says if you, if you uh, divorce your wife and you're living in adultery with another woman and your previous wife or previous husband, is still, you shall be called an adulterer. And the Bible is very clear that no adulterer, no fornicator, no homosexual will have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. I am not judging when I say that. I am just simply repeating the scriptures and saying that's what God's word says. But I think the judgment side comes when you start hardening your heart and start spewing out all forms of condemnation upon this person and not having compassion and concern for their souls. I think we need to still show mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> Excellent. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I think I did accidentally clicked mute. Were you going to say something else, Beth? I'm sorry. <laughs> Good. You should be. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> um, I do have one thing to say, and I was trying to form the words for, for many minutes. Um, can't quite seem to figure out how to say this, but it, it, it just... It occurred to me as you were talking, and I'd like to just sort of sort of mention it and see if maybe you have a, a thought on this. Um, a while back, many moons ago, I was in the car with my daughter after having a, a moderately heated discussion with somebody, I can't remember who, on, on the Internet. And I was saying to her, I was telling her about this discussion, Somebody had said something about how uh, I needed to let go of my my husband so that I could move on with my life and, and receive blessings and uh, just being just standing here waiting for him to come home was making me bitter and and I was going to have nothing but curses in my life. Whereas my husband, of course, is going to have blessings in his life because he's moved on and he's happy. All right, my daughter, who is only 16 years old, said to me. Yes, well, how did it go? It was something like, um, 
the reason that I, I seem to be receiving all these curses was because I'm still one spiritual flesh with my spouse. And so I'm getting some of the um, the, the negative, I don't want to say karma, but it, it, karma from from his actions in adultery, whereas he's being blessed uh, not by not by God, but you know he's being he's right. living in sin, and so reaping the rewards of that. All right, I I hear the thing. What is your name again? My name is Beth. Beth, where are you phoning from? Oh, I'm in Wisconsin right now, but I oh. used to be in Texas. All righty. Okay, I'm from, I'm from New Zealand, so I'm just a stranger here. All right, <laughs> Beth, let, let, let's just have a look at this. Now, one thing you can be sure of, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and that long-suffering gentleness that goes on. Love, joy, peace. It is a fruit of the Spirit. When people live in obedience to God, that fruit begins to grow in their lives. Love, joy, peace. Your husband in this situation hasn't a moment's peace. He may try and have a false peace. The devil may try and give him a false peace. He has not got peace. It's only a fruit of the Spirit and your obedience to God that brings true peace. Now, as far as the blessings, the devil is a master of deceit. He is a master of deceit. He will try and let you see that you see your husband is having all the blessings and you are all churning up and you're all bitter and twisted and hurting and frustrated and all curses are coming upon you, etc. That's a lie from the devil. These curses are not coming upon you. No, it's not that. The hurts, the pains, and etc., etc. If you're living in obedience, then God will give you the reward of obedience. And that is the peace and the joy and the happiness that comes from. Now, he is the one in adultery, not you. <clears throat> As he lives in adultery, he will not receive the thing of God. Mm. And the devil may try and give him a false peace. But that false peace will only be false and temporary. But you are looking for eternal peace, eternal joy, and true love. Love. Now, if you look at the word love, that agape is in the Greek. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love always seeks how it may please its neighbor for his or her good, not to please itself. He divorced you not to please you, but to please himself. So, that's not true love. Furthermore, love never, ever keeps a record of wrongs. I guarantee he's choking up in his mind. He's justifying himself as to why he left you. Da, 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 da. He's keeping a record of wrongs just to justify himself. The Bible also says about true love, agape love. It never, ever ends. It keeps on keeping on keeping on loving. When everything else will fall away, love will keep on loving. If your love for your husband is just waned and there's no love left, it's not true agape love. Seek to really get into God and say, God, you let that love never die. And I know the hurt, I know the pain, but you remain faithful and God will reward you. Even if your youngest uh, daughter says, well, you see, Mom, you're not receiving any blessings. Dad is receiving all the blessings. Hey, there's a blessing 
for obedience. When we obey God, God blesses us. And even where we may not be feeling those blessings, God will still bless you. And he is the guilty one. He is the one who's committed adultery, not you. You take courage and say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to keep on praising you and blessing you. And even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, says Job. Even though he slay me, pray God. I'm going to keep on praising God and rejoicing in his goodness. May God comfort you and bless you and give you the desires of your heart. Thank you. That's wonderful. Wonderful, Dr. Roy. Now, you know, something you said that just reminded me. It seems that all these churches, they're all willing to condemn homosexuals. They're willing to condemn drunkards. They're willing to condemn everybody else uh, and judge them. Maybe even they don't judge that anymore. But um, when you read Romans 1, 18 through 32, um, Paul talks about the, the that you know about homosexuality, and uh, pastors love to to read this verse and condemn homosexuals. But yet when we read down a little bit further, um, he he actually talks about people who do not keep their covenants as being basically worthy of death, just as the people up, up, up before that are. Uh, in other words, he says that those who, who do not keep their covenants are under his wrath. Um, yeah. well, the Bible talks why, about, why is something so clear ignored by everyone, though? It seems that it's, these guys go to seminary, they spend years learning the word, supposedly, and they don't even look at that verse. They completely ignore it. Is that... Just because they're blind to it, is it willful? What is the problem with these pastors? Well, look, <clears throat> let me say this because I have it in my mind. I just need to say it right now. Divorces only happen when the stubborn wills of men and women take preeminence over the will of God. Divorces only happen when the stubborn wills of men and women take preeminence over the will of God. It's self-seeking, which is against what the scriptures teach. And it's with self. Now, the Bible, as I said much earlier on, in, in, in James 1 and 21, 22, it says there, Be ye doers of the word, not just hearers only. Otherwise, you will deceive your own self. The Bible also goes on to say in second. Uh, Thessalonians, chapter 2, and verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, that whole sort of portion there, talks about <clears throat> because men and women did not receive a love for the truth that they might be saved. Mm. God sends them a strong delusion that they might all believe a lie and they may all Men and women are believing a lie today. It's possible to believe a lie. And they're doing it because they have a love for truth. The truth comes to them. They wake up. They look at their congregation of 3,000 people, and they realize that this is a good, good church. We've got good people in this, and we know that our, pastor, our assistant pastor is divorced and remarried. We know that the head is divorced and just about seeking to get remarried. We know that 40% of the congregation are divorced and we know that this is going to be a real difficult one to get across. So they, they, it's a minefield and they're treading on eggshells. They daren't talk about this otherwise lose half the congregation. So they don't love truth more than they love their own preconceived ideas. And so what they do, they turn off the truth. 
they turn away from the truth. And areas that start coming and the Spirit starts convicting them, they don't want to face it. And when you keep on doing that, then after a while your heart becomes hardened. You start to become deceived and eventually you believe your own lie. And this is what's happening, unfortunately, in many of the churches. But a lot of these churches, a lot of these pastors, they'll say that, well, you know, someone's divorced and they've gone and remarried, but they've confessed it to Christ. They're under the blood. You know, it's okay because remarriage is just a one-time act. It's not a continuing relationship. And that, you know, God's not really going to send you to hell just because you couldn't contain your sexual desires and married someone legally. Um, what well, do you say to that? You know, and, and, and it, 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 it's almost like the pastors are giving license to sin when they well, say things like that. You know, they, they may like to excuse it and, 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 and say, oh, well, you know, God won't send anyone to hell for it. It's very clear. I, I choose to believe what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, now listen, now listen carefully now. Don't be deceived about this thing, First Corinthians chapter 6. I don't want you to be deceived about this. Fornicators. Adulterers, effeminate, male prostitutes, homosexuals, drunkards, etc., shall not have any part in the kingdom of God. They will be barred from the kingdom. That's God's word, not Mike Gorry. God's word said, now don't be deceived. Why? He knew people would be deceived. And that's what's happening. <clears throat> people are being deceived today. Now, <clears throat> my wife, uh, Confucius said, if at first you don't succeed, do it the way your wife told you in the first place. <clears throat> they just come to me and said, look, maybe uh, I need to stop talking, give some other people a chance to get on the line. Now, there's my good friend who we're staying with here. He wants to ask a question, I think, and he's here in Houston. I don't know if you've okay. the one on your screen there. See if you can find another one. See if it's yeah. not There's another one that says Texas on it, and, and, and I want to get back also real quick, by the way. Just remind me because it's important. Maybe I can do that actually uh, now if he can hold his question for two seconds, because this, I just have to ask you this. Romans 8.1, it says, yeah. there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. So the question becomes, can right. someone who is in an adulterous remarriage, and they, even whether they know it's adultery or not, can they be in Christ Jesus and not be under condemnation based on Romans 8.1? All right. <clears throat> A very good question. I've had it, and I've heard it asked as well. I've heard it even said. Well, brother, I had a young fellow uh, who was saying, look, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend, and had, uh, we've been living together for three or four years. We've got a little child now. We're not married. Well, what is your take? And he was, he was at a Christian Greek, uh, meeting with me. Uh, it happened to be one of the meetings I was speaking at. Uh, so I, I, they asked me to answer the question. I said, well, brother, I said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, but if you have not entered into a covenant relationship with this woman, but vowing to relive together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, until death to us part, and forsaking all other, keep true on each until death to us part. If you have not made that vow and entered into a marriage covenant relationship with her, you're just living with her, you are living in fornication. And the Bible says no fornicator will have eternal life. It's one of the works of the flesh. The Bible says that in Galatians chapter 5. So if you live to the flesh, you will die. I went down this line. And man, if, if one of the guys on the panel who should have known better? He said, well, brother, he said, don't beat up on yourself. He said, look, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So as long as you just realize that, brother. And I thought, man, he just undone everything I said. And then I thought, now, you know what? When you read the NIV version, 
Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. No, no, wait a minute. You go to the you go to the King James and a lot of the other versions. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Oh, the law of the spirit of, of, of made me free, you know, in Christ Jesus. Now, now, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly, if you live to the flesh, you shall die. The works of the flesh are these, fornication, adultery, etc., uh, etc. Et so, he's living after the flesh. And how can they say that? They don't quote the whole verse. And it's because they read an NIV and it just stops there. It doesn't say, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, that, wow. that is just not... Not not quoting scripture in its context, you know. That reminds me. That reminds me of the lying pen of the scribes. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what these guys are. These Bible translators, they their pen lies. They're the lying pen of the scribes. <laughs> well, it's unbelievable. Anyway, see if you can find the other. Yeah, let's try them. Um, I have unmuted your friend. Are you there? Let's try him. I think he's there. Are you, uh, hello. Yeah. Are you talking about us in Texas? That's the one. Okay. Uh, Dr. Mike, uh, let me ask you a question. Is there a high calling that salvation is sure and secure? The Bible says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Is that the perfection we have to attain? <laughs> All right. Uh, very good question, my brother, and uh, I'm glad to hear you're on the line there. Um, there is a high calling, and we call our ministry in New Zealand High Calling Ministries, NZ. NZ. Uh, and because we follow after what the Bible says there in uh, Philippines chapter three, uh, 4, Philippines, uh, I press therefore towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a high calling. And in that same chapter in Philippines chapter 4, the Bible says, Paul writes, and he says, uh, not as though I was already perfect. And then he goes on a few verses down the line, but he said, I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Not as I have already perfect. Teleos, as the Bible says in, in, in the Greek. You go down a couple of verses down there, and he says, let us, as many as are perfect, be thus minded. Hey, Paul, are you schizophrenic? Uh, hold on, you just said just now you're not perfect, but now you're saying as many of us as are perfect, including yourself in that. So I think we've got to look at the word teleos, uh, the, the word for perfection. We've got to look at that word and understand that there are degrees of perfection. Uh, for a little little child who is five years of age and they know it's wrong to, to steal and to, to, to uh, swear daddy and mommy and to... Uh, uh, whatever, except you know, three things. If they live in absolute obedience to those three things, they're living perfectly to the light that God is, uh, and they're living perfectly before God. And my wife and I have often discussed this. A man said this to us once in Huntsville, Alabama. He said, you know, it's easier to be perfect in God's sight than in man's sight. And I thought about that. I turned it over in my mind. I said, you know, that man's right. It's easier to be perfect in God's sight than in man's sight, because man judges after the art appearance, God judges after the heart and the motive of the heart. And if that little little child of three or four years of age is living perfectly to the light that he or she has, 
you have another man who's been going with Jesus for, and he loves the Lord and he's been serving God for about five years. He may have <clears throat> three feet of light. This little, little fellow has only got 12 inches of light. <laughs> for him to be perfect, he has to live to 12 inches of light or whatever it may be. person has been going with the Lord for 30 years, he may have about 20 feet of light. Uh, that's his dimension. Of, for him to be perfect, he has to live to that degree of light. So unto whom much is given, much shall be required. So <clears throat> when the Bible says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, it's referring to that, that we need to walk in strict obedience to the Lord, to the light that God has given us. And when we live that way, we make that a habit in our lives. God will give us the second, the third hurdle, the two-foot hurdle, then the three-foot hurdle, and then the four-foot hurdle. And that's how we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> the Bible in many, many places talks about that it may present as every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I think of Colossians, a beautiful portion of Scripture there. Uh, you know, and it's not talking about fruits perfection as much as it is talking about being absolutely a man of integrity and upright at heart, walking in perfect obedience to your light that God has given you. And in Colossians <clears throat> chapter 3, let me just turn it up here quickly. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, I believe it is. Um, all right, 3, and the last part, and um, that, we must be Colossians 1. Let's see. Um, anyway, we'll wait. It's no rush. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here it is in Colossians chapter one and verse uh, verse uh, um, twenty-seven through to twenty-nine. It says, "To <clears throat> whom we preach, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom." that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, what? That I may be perfect in Christ Jesus, live godly and sanctified and live above my sins and not be defeated, but live and walk in the light, walk in absolute obedience to God and being a holy, godly and sanctified. That is the high calling of God. I think there's so little of that, uh, Malcolm, or Mac, as we often call you, uh, there's a little of that preached in the church today. And I think if people realize and look to that, the eyes of the Lord, it says in, in the book of, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for the man and the woman whose heart is perfect toward him. And he's going to show his arms strong to that man. And so he wants men and women who live in obedience to God, who live in godliness and holiness and walking in obedience to God, uh, uh, concentrating on being extra sensitive to the slightest impressions of the Spirit, walking in sanctification. That's what I believe. <clears throat> That's wonderful. And, and we're getting a lot of compliments on Max's accent. Everybody said, love your accent, Austin. So... <laughs> well, that, my, my brother Malcolm Max, who's just on the line right now, he comes from Africa. And we we were uh, uh, buddies in South Africa when we were 16, 17 years of age, now into our 70s. And so we've known each other for really over 55 years. And oh, we've great. been great friends, and they've been putting us up at their house, and we're leaving tomorrow to go off to the conference, which you may like to speak about a little later on. Absolutely, and we want to thank them for uh, for obviously taking you in as a guest and, and no, allowing us to share some of your time, some of their time with you, because this has been a great blessing. Um, Praise God. 
you mentioned the conference, so I guess I will uh, go ahead and, you know, I had intended to, to, to say, well, why did you come all the way to the, to the, to the great state of Texas from, from New Zealand? Of all, you know, well, what a, I mean, that must have been about a 30-hour plane ride or something. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's about a 12, 12, 13. Well, you know, by the time you get to LAX and then you have to catch a plane from there another four or five hours or three, you know, three to five hours down here to Houston, um, couldn't come to, to the States without coming to Mac and Glennis's place, to Malcolm and Glennis's house, home, because this is our home away from home. And they're such wonderful friends of ours, lovely Christian friends of ours. And as I say, we've known each other for a, half a century. And uh, so, uh, but I've come primarily for the conference in Connecticut, uh, which you may like to just uh, give them a little bit of detail that. And this is going to be the third international conference of marriages for life conference in in. Uh, Windsor, Connecticut. So maybe you go along and just give them a plug on that one. Absolutely. Um, For those who are interested in learning a little bit more about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and God's holy truth on the matter, um, Pastor Ray McMahon uh, with Praise, Power, and Prayer Temple in Windsor, Connecticut is sponsoring this year the third International Marriages for Life Conference. The website is marriagesforlife.org. The four is actually a number four. Marriages for Life org. It starts Friday, October 22nd, 2010 at 6 p.m. It's going to be at Praise, Power, and Prayer Temple, 209 Kennedy Road in Windsor, Connecticut. The phone number is 860-285-8898. Some of you may have actually heard the interviews that uh, Pastor McMahon did on his radio show, which is the national radio show. Uh, he interviewed Dr. Gorey. Um, he interviewed Joseph Webb, Casey Whitaker. Um, he, he just it was a wonderful series of interviews. You can find those on his website, which is praisepowerprayertemplect.org, CT like Connecticut, Charlie Tango. Um, he also is on several different radio stations, KSLR in San Antonio, WACE, WACE in Pittsburgh. Um, it's a great show. He also preaches the truth of the covenant of marriage. Um, it's going to be a great conference. There's still time to register. People are coming from all over the world to listen, to speak, to share truth. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just about um, beating people over the head with, with what's right and what's wrong. There's also going to be uh, a lot of seminar work about how to handle it if you've been divorced or you're about to go through a divorce, uh, what you're supposed there, to do, yeah. all of can that. I so, when I come in there, uh, yeah. I, I, for one, am going to be speaking. My topic is reclaiming what the enemy has stolen. That's my one. Reclaiming and that, and that is wonderful. That is a great message that you, that you preach, and I tell you that anybody that hears that, they will have chills run up and down their spine, and it will motivate them to stand for the truth, I promise. Yeah. Give them the telephone number again slowly. Yes, sir. It's um, 860-285-8898. And, again, that's going to be from Friday, October 22nd, to the 24th on Sunday in Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, apparently the airport's very close by. Uh, it's easy to fly in and out of there. There are some good uh, some good uh, rates at the hotels. Uh, people have trouble finding a place to stay. I think there, there are people that live locally that may open their houses to you. So, uh, I, I, I urge everybody to go. I, I was blessed enough to go last year, actually, to the second International Marriages for Life Conference, which is where I actually met uh, Pastor Gorey in person for the first time. 
Um, and it was a great blessing. We had wonderful speakers. It was just an incredible experience. Lots of nice, godly, wonderful people there, and I, it's worth it. It's well worth the time. Uh, Jason, they, they fly into Bradley. Uh, Bradley. Yeah, Bradley International Airport, I think it is. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and they're, they're saying it's about, I think it's about 10 miles, maybe 8 miles from from the from the uh, from the location of the conference, so it's really close by. Now, there, now there's one thing you have not asked me. I'm going to prompt you so you can ask. What okay. About, what about self? Oh yes. Well, th there was a question you wanted me to ask. Was it the one about self? Because uh, I know you have you you're, you and your mother have uh, some wonderful gems that have a, gr a great deal of truth in them. <laughs> so yeah. absolutely, well, I'd like to ask you about self. Well, Go ahead. Well, well, I tell you what, my mother, my darling mother, she's she's gone to glory now, and uh, she must have served God for seventy-five years. A Christian, lovely lady, and she's <clears throat> dead and buried in South Africa. But she said to me, Michael, I want to tell you something. Always remember, you don't build happiness on someone else's aura. You think of it in terms of the divorce and remarriage. You flitted off with some little thing there, running out, and you're as happy as a lark. That your wife is as miserable as anything. You don't build happiness on else's sorrow. That's the first thing. Now, if you go to Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, listen carefully, every one to his own way. There is a problem of divorce, remarriage, mankind's problem. As he lives upon earth, we have turned everyone to his own way. I think of Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Yeah, he did it right. his way. And this is what is happening all over the world. Man is doing his thing. And I often say to people, I teach. Uh, I used to teach at a, at a Bible college, and I used to say to my students, give me a definition of repentance. And they used to give me one, and I said, you've left one thing out. Repentance is not sorrow for sin and turning from your sin, but it's surrendering your will to the will of God. Surrender. You can accept Jesus, brother. You can accept Jesus, sister, but you may never surrender your will totally to the will of God. I remember a lady speaking to me on the phone once, and I told her that. She, oh, she said, I could never do that. I'm a Christian. Praise God. Psalm 1, Him 2. Hallelujah. Praise God. She is blessing the Lord. I said, yeah, but have you surrendered your will to the will of God? I said, oh, no, I can never do that. I have to be in control, otherwise I'll feel insecure. I said, well, then you're an idolater. She said, what? I said, you're an idolater. You're bowing down at the shrine of self every day. You've still got self on. And that's the number one sin. The number one sin is self. You can be, and listen carefully, you can be as full of God as you're prepared to be empty of self. As pointed out very clearly that I is the center of sin, S. I, and it's one of the early church fathers who said this, you die by living for self. You live by dying to self. Mm. And, and yet all the way through the scriptures, you read there Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he says, the old tax collector, a Pharisee stands up with his flowing robes and he says, oh Lord, I thank you, I'm not like this old miserable standing next to me. Now I fast I fast and I pray and I tithe and I and, and, and I give, you know, I 
for my money to the poor and I'm not like this miserable sinner next to me. You look at that, it's about four or five I, 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 I. You, you, look, you look at uh, um, Isaiah is at 13, or 13 or 14, chapter 10, 14, talks about Lucifer. And he said, I will ascend to the Most High. I will sit on the sides of the Lord. I will be the Most High God. I, 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 I. I will exalt myself. And all the way through the scriptures, I is the center of sin. I, me, my. And you know what? It'll take you years to get I off the throne. To get yeah. and, and and someone said, you know, when we've got to present our, our bodies as a living sacrifice, the trouble with the living sacrifice is always trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that so, so that's that's my take. Well, that's my take on. I, tell I, you. I would say I would say that uh, yeah. that divorces only happen happen when I is the throne, unless we dethrone the God of self. We're idolaters, and and I want to tell you, it's easy to, to pander to the flesh and, and, and to get all miserable and, you know, the sorrow of the world death. A lot of people are very sorry for themselves. They're licking their wounds and they're marinating in their own self-pity juices and all sorry about what's happened in their lives and they keep on doing like that. They'll marinate themselves into a lost eternity. Do that. Just get self off the throne and say, Jesus, I'm going to exalt you and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to press on Turn all the promises of God into prayers, and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. So I've, oh, said, about, I've said about what we need to say, brother. I think that, that's amen. about it. And, well, uh, I tell you, you know, it's funny. Every time you say something, you know, you know, the Lord once suffered the nations to walk in their own ways, but no longer. He once winked at ignorant sin, but no more. I mean, we do have a higher calling yeah. since, the day, since the day that John the Baptist and Jesus Christ spoke on this earth, and we really should... Take it as, as seriously as God does, because it's going to hurt if we don't. Yeah, let me say this, uh, Jason. There may be someone who's just itching and say, "Oh man, man, then we're going to cut off the program." Is there some lost person who just wants to quickly get in a quick? Well, maybe is there anyone else? There is. I know there is, and I'm going to have to read the question because I have lost control of the. Yes. The, the yeah, talk shoe is is acting slow today, and I've lost control of my control panel. But okay. someone asked. How should we pray for our spouses that have left? How should we pray? What should we what should we pray for? What should we say? How do we do it? I know you covered that a little bit earlier, but perhaps right. a summary. I, I, I have a little bit of tongue in cheek when I say this. Pray death and destruction to any relationship that the thorns may prick them on every side, that they may return to their first husband or turn to their first wife and say it was better with me then than it is with me now. But what I would encourage each one of them to do, number one, get right with God. Press into Christ. Uh, uh, you can be marinating in yourself pretty juices and get so sorry for yourself and focus on yourself and you can have grown eyeballs. You have your ingrown eyeballs and looking at yourself all the time, you'll just get worse, worse and worse because when you agree with Satan, you, you, you agree with him to disempower you. you know? So uh, I think that what we need to do is to have compassion, to have love, and have persistency, to keep on praying, to fast, to pray, to break down strongholds, get other people who will stand with you, who will pray with you, and say, God, we want to pray that my husband will humble himself the number, thing, the number one thing, he's got to get right with God, or your wife's got to get right with God. That's it. When they really get right with God, then they start to see that, hey, man, I'm living in sin. I need to do something.
about this. And the prodigal son went into a faraway country, wasted his substance in riotous living, and then he sat there when the, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I tell you, when a famine is in the land, you begin to be in want. Pray that a famine will arise in their heart. A famine will arise in their heart. And they will join themselves to the farmer who sent him down, this Jewish boy down to feed the pigs. What a demeaning thing. And they day after day after day, looking at the food that the pigs did eat, looking at his clothes, and no man gave unto him. No man gave unto him. And there he sat day after day. We don't know how long he was there. But then the Bible has these choice words. And when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go back to my father and say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Then he got up and he went back. Now, I'd say that, Lord, may there be a famine that arise in my husband or my wife's heart. May the famine arise that they'll begin to be in want. And when they come to themselves, they will say, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If they don't repent, they will very seldom return to you. So keep praying. Be persistent with importunity. Keep on knocking. Keep on trusting God. Claim Luke 18, 1 to 8. And though he bear long with him like the widow woman, change me of mine adversary, kept on knocking, kept on knocking, and the unjust judge said, pull out, I don't want it. She kept on coming and kept on coming. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him? I tell you, he will avenge and that speedily. Keep on trusting, believing God for a miracle, and don't let go. Just say, Lord, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And be like the, the he slaves in, in, in Babylon. And I'll end on this. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, be it known that the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Now listen to this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to the image. Even if he doesn't. Even if my husband or my wife never comes back, I will remain faithful to you, Lord. I will remain faithful to my vows. I will not betray my Lord. I will remain faithful. And God honors those who honor him. And with those words, I say, God bless you all. Thank you for inviting me on your program, brother. I hope that everyone is blessed. And please make an effort to come to this conference. You'll be blessed. I'll give you a hug for nothing. How about that? All the way from Kiwiland. They're good. They're good hugs, too, believe me. <laughs> I, well, and, I, I, I love you very much, life. Pastor. I mean, you're a great Thank man. You. I love you to death. And, um, I hope you'll come back on the show again. We need to do this again sometime. So We may have to do it from New Zealand. I don't know how to work there. But anyway, Ray McMahon got all of me in New Zealand. It seemed to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll try it. And uh, you have a safe trip to the conference. And, Thank you, uh, And you keep safe, safe flying now. Make sure you keep do. your heart on the Lord and your eyes on Jesus and keep your eye on the road. <laughs> we'll try, sir. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks Love again, you. Pastor Gore. Thank you. All the people have been listening, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on, on board. God bless you. Over and out from Mike. God bless you. Take care. And uh, I just want to say a quick thank you to Elizabeth. Uh, sorry, Beth. I know she doesn't like me saying that. I can't unmute her to let her say thanks back or, or well, you're welcome or whatever she wants to say. But I know that whatever it would be, it would be witty and funny. And uh, 
she's a good friend. I appreciate her help. I appreciate all the guests, uh, or the callers that uh, participated with us this evening. Uh, this is, I'll just sign off on a personal note. Um, today is the 31st anniversary of the death of my father. Um, he was a pilot for the United States Border Patrol. He was killed in the line of duty on October 19th, 1979, uh, while flying in an airplane. He crashed uh, on the King Ranch in Texas. I was six years old. Um, I will tell you that I was blessed to have a very good father, a good example, and um, he certainly gave the love of flying that I have uh, in my heart. So to, to Weldon Smith, I just want to dedicate this program to you. Um, I love you, and I hope that you're resting well with the Lord. I also want to um, give a quick shout-out to my beloved wife, Neona. Um, I, I know that she'll probably never hear this program, but um, I'm publicly confessing to all who are listening, all my fellow bro brothers and sisters, that uh, I certainly did sin through my own faults against my bride, and for that I'm truly sorry. And I hope that someday she will uh, come to the point where she and I can both forgive each other and live together in love and honor the Lord in our marriage and our children. So, um, Neona, I love you. You're the love of my life, and I will not uh, give you up. I will stay faithful and true to you, and I will honor my vow to you. Um, and I certainly forgive you. I hope someday you will forgive me. There will be more information on my website. It's uh, www.neona.us, N-E-O-N-A. So uh, feel free to check that out. I will put some links to other programs and ministries and things of uh, that nature, books, anything that will be helpful in your stand. Uh, once again, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Gorey, for his time. It was a wonderful interview, and I uh, look forward to doing it again. So until the next broadcast, to borrow a page from Dr. Gorey, may the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Be blessed. Good night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.